Lego Mayago, this is Illiterate. This week we are covering Netflix's Stranger Things. I am in the middle of checking out the new season four on Netflix. I'm hanging out with Taylor. I looked into some conspiracy theory books, novels, nonfiction, who knows what they are. <laughs> We're gonna figure it out. This is a great time to uh, kind of get into things, all things Stranger Things. Not going to be doing the obvious things, maybe so much the obvious influences of like Spielberg or so much Stephen King. We have episodes on those if you want to hear about those kinds of things and recognize mm -hmm. some of the things that might bleed into Stranger Things. Uh, go check out those episodes. Today, we're hoping to bring you a little bit more of the, the science fiction edge of things, the conspiracy edge of things, and the real development of this piece, uh, getting into the Duffer Brothers. And I can't wait to break it all down for you. Taylor. Yeah. Their names are Matt and Ross. They are identical twins. They wear different shirts, thankfully, for every interview. <laughs> but I do not I do not know which is which. Uh, and they are pretty pretty connected as co-directors, finish each other's sentences, know exactly cool. what's going on. In terms of them getting into the biz, they wrote and produced a film in 2015 called Hidden. Do you know anything about this? I believe a buddy of my brother's did effects for it, but I don't really yeah. know much about it's, it. It's pretty small scope. I think when they were pitching it, somebody's like, oh, so it's all in a underground bunker. It's sort of a apocalyptic thriller with mm -hmm, a twist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They were really interested in emulating M. Night Shyamalan. It had some snafus in production, I, I guess not on their end, but it did not get the wide release. And so it is difficult to. Interesting. And I saw a quote from an interview with them and Ross, he said, at the end of the day, Hidden was a great experience because we know what it's like to fail and we know it will happen again. Yeah. yeah. Which I loved because I've failed <laughs> several times. Me and, too, man. Here you're yeah. reading that. I'm going, yep, there it is. My echoes in my chest. <laughs> yeah. But nobody talks about that. They talk about, oh, wow, they hadn't really done anything. And then they got Stranger Things and it exploded. I didn't uh, realize it was that quick because Stranger Things is coming out um, middle of 2016. So yeah. That's, pretty, that's a pretty quick turnaround from really putting down the sword on something going, we, <laughs> we missed the mark, brother. Yeah. And then, and then a year and a half later, you got something like this. Yeah. In between, there was a TV producer who was working alongside M. Night Shyamalan himself on the TV sure. show Wayward Pines. Mm. And they were impressed by this and got these brothers to help write on that show. So it oh, did cool. give them a secondary thing. And it trained... got them real M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Training them on how to do it. And so then this makes sense with, oh, they worked on a TV show. Now they're ready. They say, we want to do our own show. Mm -hmm. And and really double down on what we're influenced by, which, of course, is the 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, they pitched Stranger Things to 15 cable networks Lord. and nobody liked it because of the dichotomy that it's grappling with, which they said either make it a kid's series and don't make it so crazy or drop the kids and make it like a Twin Peaks and focus on Hopper's investigation and make it an adult thriller like this, people have never seen a Spielberg film. <laughs> I'm. This is confusing. I mean, like right. Most most people are most audiences wanting something that feels that can please both because it's possible. That's bizarre. <laughs> it's like yeah. all things have a purpose in place. All of, all of those things are good, but Lord, 
I think the uh, it's so obvious sitting on this side of it going like, well, it's kind of the, the dynamicism of the ensemble mm-hmm. that really gives you that warmness. Uh, it is all dynamics of it. And the kids, I think, are probably the biggest reason of why people feel warm about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> so like yeah take the kids and it's just it's just a it's just a, a grizzled old sheriff <laughs> and a lonely mother who like you know like yeah. okay but like that's a feature you know like and that's a different thing i could or, see that but like yeah, you know the, I mean. for the, you know what yeah, i mean for, the, for sure for the cable networks they want and that was the thing with netflix too is they saw actually what they were trying to do and said Sure, do an eight episode first season because if you're going to be on cable, it's going to be 22 episodes, especially when it came out in 2016. And so they're right. like, we are, don't want to do that. We can't do that. This is really what we're envisioning, which you had told me off, Mike, that the newer season really leans into the openness with the formatting. <laughs> Yeah, gone are the days of 22-minute episodes, 39, 41-minute <laughs> episodes. This is entering into a new, um, really bar- breaking down the door. When, uh, when it comes to the last 10 years, there's this huge trend of blurring the lines between series and features. Uh-huh. Um, everybody has been feeling it. Everybody's talking about series these days and what makes a series is changed into looking more like movies. <laughs> and part of this and part of the ever running battle is runtime. Runtime's for everything. And then, so when you're in series, uh, typically, I think the old Stranger Things, normal episodes, pretty normal runtimes. Right. This season, every episode <laughs> is north of an hour. Every episode uh, stands for one is in the 70 minute mark and the series finale will be 98 minutes, which is just a feature. So (laughs) um, this is really breaking down the door uh, of what, what these lines are that make the distinction between feature and series. And this is a, this is a huge property making a huge case here. This is really, this is really particular. And that, that means they're really on the forefront of what they believe is possible in the medium. Well, and that's, what's cool is looking into the impetus for them creating it. They were really looking at the 2013 film prisoners, which I love. Mm. Uh, and oh, the Denny Villeneuve yeah. character. Uh, and uh, really looking at yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the moral struggles of a father's kid who is kidnapped. And they yes. said, well, we'd be really interested to take this thing and expand it in eight hours in TV form. So it is, they That's are coming That's so funny, from, actually, because yeah. when the, I was looking at uh, ads for the new season and it kind of kind of hit me. I was sitting back thinking of what all the stories have been now. And this is the fourth iteration of this thing and thinking about what all the stories have been compared to the first trailer i watched yeah. for these for the first season and the first trailer the first season is about a missing child yeah and i remember heavily throughout that season it plays heavy on the grief of the mother the winona Ryder character yeah, it's yeah. cut it's cut in a uh, in a meditative fashion so that you are you are missing this child that ca- juxtaposed the absence of him mm-hmm. uh it's really really uh important uh, emotional stuff that I has never returned <laughs> to the to the to the franchise. To be honest, and, and I don't know how you recapture it, but I but I remember that as being one of the most grounding elements mm-hmm. of the initial 
season was that felt like a real missing child. Yeah. Um, so the the Duffer brothers said that that was where they were coming from. Although, like you're saying, with the grounded side, the more ungrounded side, they also wanted to introduce a childlike quality, which they said, well, what are what if the kid was taken by a monster? There's some sort of monster involved. And then they said, oh, that's the coolest thing ever, to <laughs> have both of these <laughs> things in play. And so I didn't realize that the original pitch, which they had the script and then this big 20-page pitch document, which has gone around Hollywood if you're in the business forever of like, mm-hmm. oh, this is how you pitch a series. And now everybody just kind of copies the thing that they made to go to the studios with. Yeah, it's become a template. But they had originally pitched it as a miniseries with a definitive ending. Like I said, this eight-hour TV format. This uh, makes me so angry because this is where I want. This is what I want. I know. Ultimately, I'm always in the camp. End your story. Yeah. (laughs) I love endings. I love endings. I'll be on the picket line. I love endings. Uh, (laughs) End your story. Um, and without your ending, I just as a story as a storyteller, I hardly know what we're working towards. Um, so that's just my soapbox. Um, but <laughs> I love hearing. That. Yeah, I love hearing it, man. Well, and yeah, it would be the definitive ending, the death of Eleven going to sacrifice herself to save the world. They had it set up to be. This is just a miniseries thing came up with season two before they had even aired season one. Because Netflix knew, oh, this is going to go somewhere else. This is going to be a multi. This is going to be huge, guys. So they were really coy in interviews, as if they didn't know when, of course, this was going to yeah. happen. But interesting to know that when they were first going around and nobody really wanted it, they were saying it's one, it's one and done, as far as a season. That's interesting too, because I've seen, I've seen all of it up till now, um, and I thought that on the back end, on the audience looking in level, the development of that story for season two, the quality was really uneven, especially in comparison to how solid season one yeah, yeah. was. But I really did see a return, not quite as solid, but a really return to form for season three. And I liked where they ended it in season three. And I just wanted yeah. to be over. <laughs> I never wanted to be over. And your story, please. Uh, but, well, I, they I, you will. know, yeah, they yeah. will. I, and they, I know they've just, uh, they just now kind of, I guess, said that. <laughs> that there will be one more. Uh, I've heard today that there will be one more and uh, and that will cap off the series. There'll be one more season. Yeah. One of the things that was interesting with the origin of them talking about where they came from and that it was going to be a one and done kind of thing in the news, and it only ended pretty recently in the last year or two, there was another guy involved, Charlie Kessler, because he had directed a short film in 2012 that was very similar and claims mm-hmm. he pitched it as a feature in April of 2014 at a party at the Tribeca Film Festival and presented it all out. And maybe it was this sort of handshake contract. We'll talk right, more. I heard this. Yeah, I did hear this. Although the what ended up happening was the this guy Kessler withdrew the, the suit days before the trial in 2019. Oh, wow. And there was just a statement that he said documents from 2010 and 2013 in the deposition testimony showed that they did create it independently and that's all he's going to say about it and that's it. And it's kind of like, well, either Dang. he knew it was going to be way up against him or because normally they say this is settled out of court. It didn't say that he got any money from Netflix Lord. and that he was owed anything. It was just right. that he said, oh no. But it's also kind of like, oh, you're going to say that after it's 
an international <laughs> sensation, you know. Look, I could have I could have chatted out my own short film. I made a short film that it has basically Elle's whole backstory out of season two. I did that a year before Stranger Things came out. I should knock down their bust them with a suit. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, no, this stuff has been out there. You know, like uh, there's so many of these things barking up this tree. Uh, Firestarter is a big one. Uh, yeah. I've never seen it, but that was one that people were barking at me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Akira is a big one. That was another one I didn't watch until after I made my film. But, uh, you know, th- this idea of the child experiment, the government facility. I mean, you, you yeah. told me we were we were talking before off mic, you know, the the entire Wolverine character is exactly <laughs> what they do with L. You know, that, yeah, that yeah. and that's exactly what I was trying to do in my film. So it's like these notions, these ideas, these big lofty ideas, MK Ultra and its influence, its indelible influence yeah. on our culture. These things have been floating around out there. So it's it's no it's no it's unfortunate that somebody would, you know, think be that convinced or nefariously trying to convince <laughs> others that that somebody took it from them. But like, you know, as a creator, I go like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I you know, I look at it. I look at it all going like I was barking up the right tree. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, people t- are into this sort of thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a it's a slippery slope. It's hard. I mean, that's it's because it's a business as well. But uh yeah, it, there's some stuff too where the brothers were like, people pointed this stuff out, and we have no idea what they're talking about. We were not referencing because they're right. this is this is right. pure reference. Like you look at Stranger Things, and it's nothing but '80s culture, '80s media, '80s language. <laughs> it's everything. One References of the things that they, every thirty seconds. Yeah, <laughs> that they did say that was sort of odd, or I thought was cool that people didn't pick up on the most was this anime series that came out in 2004. Mm. Called Elfen Lied or Elfen Lied. It's it's a oh, German. Oh yeah, I word. think I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. It's this psychic girl, and the first episode she breaks out of this facility. So classic stuff that we're Hell talking yeah. about. Hell yeah! But there's a ton of gore <laughs> and violence and psychological violence in related mm. to. It's like, mm-hmm. is her reaction based on the atrocities done to her? Not is it justified, but it's kind of just like throwing a lot out at you, right? So you had mentioned MK Ultra, and that ties well into the guy Charlie Kessler who had presented this lawsuit that they had yes, copied him yes. because the short film that he directed is called Montauk. And yes, yes. that was the name on this pitch document, which I'll post a link to, that they had put around. That was the original title. It was not Stranger Things. It was originally called Montauk, yes. which is a place of great conspiracy and <laughs> subterfuge and whatnot and and, I, and I, this is so funny because i remember reading about this uh controversy uh after the first season came out uh-huh. and i was like this isn't he didn't i was reading about montauk <laughs> you know i just yeah. cha- instead all i did for my movie was say i don't want to be bound by any history anything this is an mk ultra it's my own deal you know so, yeah, yeah. so i outside of any kind of government re, you know bound reality i just turned it into another reality but like this guy thinking that like him pulling montauk out of something was like some like he owned that yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's you that's know. what I, i'm just like this is ridiculous <laughs> so what's funny too with them changing it for stranger things to a imaginary town of hawkins in a similar thing to yours where it's like oh yeah we're not tied to any of this real stuff or having to explain if the town goes under quarantine well that didn't happen and you know that kind of thing the big reason they changed was because of logistics because they can't shoot in the winter time 
on Long Island. Right. It's both miserable and expensive. And so a big piece of <laughs> we got to find a better place <laughs> to do this because they shot a lot of it in Georgia. Yeah. So that was part of the name change. I looked into really what the Montauk project was and whatnot. Yeah. Um, everything with a grain of salt. I am not <laughs> an advocate of this as <laughs> we'll see kind of it. it it's, it's almost a uh, like a fruit salad of every single conspiracy <laughs> rolled up into one. And it's like, so even if one Beautiful. is slightly true because of all the other stuff involved, it sort of brings into question. Forever obscured. <laughs> right. The book that I read, which I'll post a link to, is a 1992 book called The Montag Project, Experiments in Time by Preston Nichols. And so his whole angle was that he was an electrical engineer who had studied all about this. He acquired equipment from the place after it was defunct, and it, he found out through some sort of psychological means that he was the technical director of this experiment and was brainwashed into silence. Oh, and God. then all these other people are coming forward, said, oh, I was being experimented on, and I remember As was you. I. And, and all of that. Yeah. And they all said, so this would be between 1971 and 1983, and this is at Camp Hero, which was the Montauk Air Force Station on the very, very tip at the end of Long Island, which actually started, and there's some media connection to this, the situation that they're relating to this, what happened at this Air Force base, this secret camp base that was mm -hmm. built to look like a fishing village, starts way back in October of 1943. And maybe people have heard this more commonly, the Philadelphia Experiment, which is uh... the, the disappearing ship in World War II. I don't know if that rings a bell, but it was like experiments no, to turn me. yeah, ships invisible to Nazis via radar. Oh, and then yes. people said the USS Eldridge literally disappeared and then reappeared, teleported to Norfolk, Virginia, and then reappeared back. Lord. It, you know, this this is some of the the stuff where there's reports that the crew was nauseous or there was the this sort of Cronenberg, like they were physically embedded in the bulwarks of the ships. Oh god. Uh, metal and really horrifying stuff. And where did the ship go? The upside down ship. Yeah. Where <laughs> it went through another dimension and now Oh my god. and whatever. I found because I am I'm always like, well, what happened? The ship was sold for scrap in the nineties, so you can't investigated anymore ah. and there actually was a film that came out in 1984 called the philadelphia experiment and follows two sailors who were on this ship when they did this experiment but they jumped in time 40 years so they appear in the 1980s what and the, i mean it's there's a whole bunch of madness i can't even explain oh it it was god we it, are from the <laughs> <laughs> but but what's so Nichols, this guy who said he was involved in this, he connected with this other guy, Al Bielik, who said he was actually involved in both situations, the Philadelphia experiment and the Montauk stuff, because oh, really? a wormhole sucked him and his brother into the future. He <laughs> had watched this movie and it uncovered his repressed memories, and he had uh... been de-aged and memory wiped, and so he and his brother were two sailors in on the ship, and then... They tell you know people. People love movies, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think people just love movies. And he can this see is incredible. Yeah. He's like, it's anyway. pretty accurate to what happened to us, uh, and we're actually you know different souls in these bodies and whatnot. So that yeah. the actual Montauk experiment then that Preston Nichols 
said he was involved in and was the head of and wrote the book on focused more on mind control. And this is the children with psychic sensitivity. And so he was like, we kidnapped them and brought them in for study. And so that's who these guys are who then went from, because they opened some, I can't even understand any of the, (laughs) what actually happened with the time, you know, time travel, right. What teleportation, but Al and his brother Duncan were children in Nichols's experiments in the 80s, but they were also right. the sailors from the 40s. Um, uh-huh. But his brother Duncan was the most psychic and could make objects materialize. And here, I, I just want to bring up Lord. some of the some of the other stuff, like I said, that sort of maybe the government did take kids in to study them or whatever, but you have all of these other things and more people coming forward. And I'll post a link. There was somebody interviewed this other guy, Stewart, who said he was a kid who was brainwashed and whatever. And he mm-hmm. said they sent him back in time to kill Jesus Christ. Whoa. But instead, he he felt bad and just got blood from him on the cross and brought it back in a vial. And then Nichols said, oh, they were going to replace Duncan, this sailor brother's blood as a kid, with Christ's blood. And then they'd send him up to Mars and fly him back and say he's Christ, and then his blood would match the blood from the Shroud of Turin. So ah, you can see how it it's all, all coming together. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense, Taylor. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> as well as Nichols saying, this is where they started the moon landing hoax with filmmakers, and they were testing flying saucer prototypes. They created the AIDS <laughs> virus there, he was saying. And then no. Nikolai Tesla actually faked his death. So that's another conspiracy. And he was the true director of operations of the whole thing. Ah, Uh, yes. How this all comes to an end, which finally ties back into Stranger Things, is that this Duncan kid, old sailor, unleashed this monster from his subconscious, which is a lot like the creatures from the Upside Down, Uh, which destroyed everyone in sight and all the equipment was destroyed. And then there we are. You know, they buried it in under hundreds of feet of cement underground. But it's a state park. Like you can go climb the radio tower and go back there, and people are all traipsing around, and there's graffiti everywhere. And, you know, people are saying there's these secret underground tunnels and whatnot. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's fascinating. A ton of that is obviously fodder for what ends up in the genre pieces (laughs) of the show. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's what they were pulling from. Beautiful. And, yeah, no. I like. I, I mean, seen... a lot to go on, man. If you, <laughs> that's why I love story, man, because you just get to forget about if it, the truth and if it's all muddy, blah blah blah. You get to jump right in the middle of it and go, uh huh, yes, yeah, <laughs> and that, and it, we're and we're jumping time dimensions and transport to Russia, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's government conspiracy and all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd seen just for some balance. There was another guy, Joe Lafreno who has a steady girlfriend, he has kids, he's worked at the state park for like 18 years Mm. and went through some hypnosis a few years ago because it is a legitimate Mm. medical thing that you can do. Some people even think when you meditate, it's kind of a hypnosis. And he said all these memories came flooding back of when he was a kid, not all the creating AIDS and flying saucer and stuff, but he said he was abducted and abused at this military facility. And so- you know, that's where it's kind of like perhaps they're, you know, they grabbed some runaway kids mm-hmm. from New York and were doing experiments. I don't know. I'm not. Well, yeah, at the say- same time, we have to. OK, it's a grab bag of conspiracy. Theories. Yeah, it's a grab bag of all the science fiction, all of it. <laughs> but at the same time, as we uncover on this show, things come from somewhere <laughs> uh, that the, the the beginnings of all of these things yeah. are rooted in some sort of 
happening, a story. Now, in the midst of all of the crazy, obviously, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we're not really endorsing uh, any of this. <laughs> right. Yeah, But we can go as far to say that, you know, the government has done some stuff, some stuff. <laughs> yeah. And... And perhaps there's an element of truth running right through the middle of all of it. I, you right. know, that, that, that I would absolutely go as far as willing to say. That's what opens up the ideas for everything else. And then at the same time, that's what muddies everything to yeah. make the truth forever obscured. Because if honestly, if, if the government was tracking, you know, trafficking children and like trying to build a super soldier, I mean, like, good Lord, that would be the most guarded secret on the play, face of the planet. Like, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had heard just, a great a great quote today, take it whatever you want from it, but it was like, 50% of everything is actually true. The hard part is figuring out which half. Right. There there we go. Yeah. You know, so this is, this is a blast to, to hear it all. And then just everybody making, because you're, do, you're doing it right now, <laughs> <laughs> making your own kind of calculation as to what you think may be part of that truth. What is that thread of truth running through the whole whole part of it? I love looking at all of it, putting it out on all in the table and then haven't seen what pops out at you. What, what are, yeah. well, what could be real about this? Where does that come from? When you chase these things down there, you get down to certain stories and you wind up in some places where like, wow, that sounds, that sounds like that could have happened. And then you also sound up in like, well, we are from 1948 and we were also <laughs> the kids in the experiment from that. You know, yeah. You, you yeah. Know. So you can wind up in both places. You just have to be deciding which place is the real place. <laughs> yeah. I like you said. Yeah. Or the or the the quote about mythology where it's like all myths are true and some of them actually happened. Exactly. There we go. And so yeah. it's like, yeah, there is something quite like we're talking about in the culture of a kid being experimented on military right. Uh, neglect and and lack of oversight and then craziness and then it right. affects a small town it's like that's that's been done over and over because there is something mythological to that feeling of control or lack of control right. that gets people going like something happened at montauk mk ultra is a absolutely real thing yeah. documented in history most of which is lost forever but there are some parts of it on the record it, some parts of it are knowable, so we know that at some extent there's the possibility for some of these things, and that's what I—that's where, as a as a creative, you find opportunity for story, um, and that's what these guys have found in the middle of all of this nonsense. They were able to take a lot of a lot of noise and filter it through and give you the Spielbergian journey. Yeah. While yeah. pulling on all this this interesting, earthy, pulpy, gritty conspiracy stuff, you get to bounce that through a refracting uh, surface like a like a Spielberg nod, and you wind up with something really, really interesting, really, really, uh, <laughs> really, really of its own yeah. color, and bringing um, a lot of stuff back. Like I saw, there was an increased demand for you mentioned it in the opening, but Ego waffles. Yeah, yeah, blew up. Right. <laughs> Which Kellogg, I like them frozen. Yeah. I'm a I'm a frozen man. I oh, just really? pull them right out of the freezer and oh, God. right as they are. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm I'm insane. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I like them always, but I I I'm, I'll just go through them frozen. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they're coming back. But, uh, it it and it uh, all the merch. This is one of the craziest merchandising properties, and it is of a serialized streaming show. Like it's crazy and yeah. all the things that that has tied into that's part ego has gotten a boost off of all of these things trucker yeah. hats are just like yeah uh, i saw a coke <laughs> coke re-released new coke 
Right. Because it came out in 85. Schwinn re-released the retro bikes that all the kids ride, which right. sold out within hours. Right. Tons of stuff that it's bringing back where people are like, oh, that's cool. I want to copy that. Yeah. It's pierced every bit of culture. Gosh. Yeah, it truly really has. Um, and, and I think maybe today we part, we maybe touched on maybe why that is. It gets to play in all these different playgrounds. It gets to use those refracting uh, surfaces to bounce off all of this interesting yeah. pulpy uh, conspiracy stuff. It gets to use that, that 80s light, that yeah. 80s neon, if you will. <laughs> so, oh, so what do you all think of it? Do you enjoy Do you want 17 seasons? Right. Would you have wished Should it was it a miniseries like Evan? Yeah, reach out to us at illiteratepod on Instagram or illiteratepod at gmail.com. If you want to see my short film, the the Roma Project, it's in our uh, our uh, show notes under my little link. My portfolio is there. Um, yeah, yeah, check out check out the links to other episodes, other things similar to this that we've covered. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. It always does more than you know. We really appreciate the support, and we appreciate you listening this far in the recording. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, we will catch you next week.